Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Here we go, we're on. My name is Graham Brown. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast, which we, hopefully we're gonna talk about what everybody really cares about, stories. We all like stories, don't we? Our stories, my story, Jonathan's story, as well as your story, how to frame that better. And if you're in the business of leadership, how you can use storytelling to engage, inspire and create change. I'm very fortunate to be invited onto the Inspiring Lead podcast with Inspiring Leadership podcast. My apologies, fluffing my lines already. No, but with right. the host with the most, <laughs> Jonathan, handing over to you. Thank you, Greg. I was under pressure there. That's great. We like we like being under pressure and being real. And and that was one of the things that struck me. I've really felt a strong bond with you from the very first moment we started talking. You are a natural storyteller, but you're also really interested in people and mm. and what makes people tick and. Your, your agency, which, you know, helps people get onto podcasts and also actually takes over the podcasting for some of the big famous corporations that you can't mention, but they're very famous. Um, you do a really good job. And I, I can see why, because you're passionate about it. Some people do things that they're never you meant to do. You're like, like, do another job. Don't do that. But you, <laughs> you were born to podcast, as I think I was too. And that's why hmm. I think we, we made a little connection there. We we found it really easy. Look, great having you on the series. Tell us a bit more about what you've been doing with your agency. And then we'll go back to your journey from, mm. from uh, Graham as a small lad uh, and your dad as, as a Royal Marine in 4-2 Commando. And um, oh, well remembered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, a special, special guy. And, you know, also, I think, had a bit of time with the SBS, the Special Boat Squadron, uh, which is the Special Forces version for those around the world who, who aren't into Navy SEALs all the time, but the, but the real the real Special Forces, the SBS. Uh, so, Graham, tell us a bit about what you're doing right now. Wonderful. Well, I'm really pleased to be here. Thank you, Jonathan, again. I'm a storyteller. I feel I'm with a kindred spirit, another storyteller as well. And, uh, you know, it just so happens on my journey, which was never a straight line, which I think is, makes the best story, doesn't it? It was never, it was never a linear career, but mm. I ended up in the business of helping people tell stories. I found out that, that actually that was something you could monetize. There were corporate leaders and thought leaders, I suppose, outside of the corporate world who were doing their own thing, building their own businesses, who increasingly I feel, Jonathan, that we are tasked with having to tell better stories. You know, in the old days, the company would do it for us. But now you look at social media, people follow people, not brands, don't they? And so it's so important for individuals to build their personal brand and around that craft, this narrative. So fortunately, you know, that means that people now are asking, how do I tell my story? You know, they're thinking about how do I get out onto podcasts where you have to be a bit more vulnerable. You've got to be more real, haven't you? You can't mm. just do the bullet point presentation. It doesn't work anymore. So that's what I do. And there's a lot of demand for it. And rightly so, I feel, because, you know, that's how you engage audiences now. We don't have a lot of bandwidth to get people's attention. Mm. 
And so storytelling is a great way of doing it. And you don't have to be Steve Jobs. And hopefully today we can talk about storytelling as well. So in the ins and outs of it and how you do it. Yeah, no, that would be really good. And, and actually, uh, you and I were just talking beforehand, many of our sort of joint passions, but a, a book I've been enjoying reading by Oliver Berkman called 4,000 Weeks, that from birth to if you die at 80, you've only got 4,000 weeks on the planet. And, mm. and he said one of the big problems is our attention span is so short. People don't even want to read a book now because they, they start reading and then they go, oh, I'll look something up on Google or, oh, that reminds me. And, and, and they're off doing something else. They don't even finish the reading the book. I, I have a, a book beside the bed. I'm reading uh, Soldier in the Sand uh, mm. by one of the generals who's uh, about to be uh, General Mail, who's about to be on the podcast. Fascinating book about the whole story of the Middle East and his family that grew up in the Middle East. And he was a Middle East envoy and a general in, the, in various wars out there. But I do find reading before bed, you know, I might get through four or five pages and then be tired mm. and go to sleep. So I, I do find podcasts and audiobooks. I think what something of the reason of I must have listened to 200 audiobooks in the last three years. And they're really interesting. And I will mm. all those different stages of the day, pick them up. You, you've had a fascinating story in itself before you, you arrived. Now you're in Singapore. We're talking mm. to Singapore. Thank you for making the time at this this time of day, I appreciate that. But you're, um, you had a, this sort of digital nomad time. You've done things like Ironman and triathlon, and you know, you've really learned a lot about yourself. Just, mm. just give us a bit of a flavor of lately what you did before you suddenly ended up in Singapore. You lived in so many different countries, which I relate to. Um, just tell us a bit of a flavor of that. Yeah, well, where do we start with that? question that's an invite isn't it yeah um well go go back a little bit in 2012 i had a telecoms business so 10 years ago i had a telecoms business it was a telecoms research business and we started it sort of in the late 90s when telecoms was really kicking off you can imagine mobile phones became mass market there was a lot of need for research i and somehow saw the distant signals of what was coming next with telecoms you know, that people really needed to understand how to communicate better with customers, which, you know, you've got to think about the old companies like British Telecom. These were post office in the day, right? Mm. So these companies had to learn how to communicate with people and understand them better. And just, you know, average people, like how did they use the phone? How did kids, teenagers use text? You know, all these kind of questions they didn't know the answers to. 2012, we kind of rode the wave and you know, myself and my business partner were tired of the business. It had run its course 12 years, 13 years almost. And so we decided we, we sold off our share in the business. And then I remember sitting with my wife and my son was six at the time. So he just kind of started school. And we said, uh, I don't want to start another business. You know what happens when people sell a business? The next thing they do is start another one. Because I think they're kind of addicted to that activity. And I'm sure this is something we'll go into. It's like, you know, if you've done something for so long, so regimented, that when you kind of come out of it, it's really hard not to go back into it because that's all you've ever known. It's that kind of activity cycle which defines us. Mm. And we had that conversation. I said, I don't want to start a business. I don't need to start another business. So we, we just went through this kind of what if you know, process, Jonathan, which was like, you know, what if I didn't need to work right now or could take a little bit of time off? 
okay, fine. Well, then I don't need to commute. So I don't need a car. What if I sold my car? Well, then we could kind of move a little bit further out. Why don't we just keep going? And we sold all our stuff, everything, you know, like pretty much right down to the clothes. We packed everything into three suitcases and uh, we traveled the world. We went and traveled the world for six years and living out of a suitcase. And when you talk about knowing yourself, I think, you know, a lot of who we are is defined by what we collect around us, not just physical objects, but also titles, you know, like when you change a job, your identity changes, you know, you, in your sort of the identity of who you are and how people relate to you. And so when you kind of jettison all of that, you're kind of naked, you know, you don't have a house, you don't have a car, you don't have a job, you're just you. And it's very raw and primeval. And when you're in that state and you're traveling the world, because if you're traveling the world as well, you're, you're not even, you know, living in familiar countries. We lived um, off the west coast of oh, the Canary Islands, off the west coast of Africa, lived in uh, there for nearly two years. And then um, a little bit in Okinawa in the southeast of the China Sea and uh, New Zealand a little bit. Yeah, we lived all over. And when you're in these kind of places, you're constantly challenged. And I think it's, you know, you're right out of your comfort zone. And I think, you know, it's kind of like somebody takes the, the ceiling and the floor away from your existence. So you've got these really exaggerated highs and these really low lows, but you really learn about who you are. And importantly, I think, you know, not to really sound trite, but you really understand what makes you happy. You know, you're not, what you think, I think that's the discovery process is that all these years you've thought, oh, this makes me really happy. This is what I'm going to work towards. And then you get there and you think, hmm, right, maybe that wasn't right. But that's the kind of the slow unraveling, if you like, of the stories we build around ourselves. Uh, that's really powerful in the story itself of your story. And you have a lovely way of telling things. You, as one of my friends used to say about me, he says, Jonathan, you have a great face for radio. Uh, <laughs> but you have a great voice for radio as well as having a, having a face for YouTube and TV. So I congratulate because I, I, you should do voiceovers. Uh, hi, this is Graham Brown. Welcome. Carlsberg Lager, probably one of the strongest <laughs> lagers in the world. And you'd have a voice like this if you drank that shit. Uh, no. You've got the macho, Graham. You've got, you got, got gravel, mate. I really like it. So, um, but I, I'm really interested in, you know, all that uh, letting go of materialism. And there I see Steve mm. Jobs and, and, and uh, Einstein in the background on your poster uh, for those who, who are listening. Uh, and then I think there's a little Buddha uh, sitting there on is. The, uh, sitting on Next to Steve Jobs, you've got Martin Luther King and... John God. Lennon. And John Lennon, yeah. And wasn't it John Lennon who said, life is, is what happens when you're making other plans? Yeah, isn't that true? Yeah, wow. and it, it is so true that, you know, you don't, you don't see what's coming next. Um, we talk about being in the moment, being present. But I, I think it is lovely that in your storytelling about all those amazing places, including Cyprus, where I used to live when I was a British mm. Army officer for a couple of years, um, all these different places that you've lived, there were the highs and there were the lows. And I think... Often people try and paint a story of it's all glossy, Pollyanna, it's all wonderful. But actually, life is in the transitions. And, and I think yeah. talking about the lows and what you learned from them 
um, making sure you do learn from them. In everything that's ex experienced that's happened to you, have I learned something? It's a teachable moment. I think is really important. Let's go right back to, to childhood. And I did touch on uh, your, your, mm. amazing, your amazing father, uh, who sadly died of cancer, I understand. Was he in his mm. 60s? I mean, 63. That, that, must have yeah. been, that must have been a tough call. That was the same age my brother was, David, when he died last year. So I mm. don't think that's old at all, as I'm now 60. Um, mm. so, so how did that, that horrific experience hit you? And what did you learn from your upbringing in those early years? And who influenced you? These are interesting questions, and and you know these are the questions we need to kind of face once in a while. I know you you've had you know your own experience. We talked about it with your father being very young as well. It's you know the experiences aren't the same, of course, and they affect us differently. But I think the similarity is there's a, you, you, they shape you, don't they? Mm -hmm. They make you ask big questions, and uh, you know my dad, um, his dad died when I think my dad was four. Wow. And, uh, you know, I think not too dissimilar to you. It's like when you're young, you just don't understand. You know, you just don't understand. I think, you know, he remembered telling me, he never talked about it, but he told me that he remembered looking out of the school window. They weren't allowed to go to the funeral. Him and his big brother looked out of the school window and they saw the hearse go down the village, you know, the, the lane. And that was it. That's all he ever saw of his dad's funeral. I thought, how you know how does a kid of four or five i think it was five you know how, how do they process that and that, that affects him you know mm. and i can see as well like any when we're touched by loss we ask big questions and i think there's something in us in, like to be reborn in that is to find meaning in these these events because you you can't control it but we talked about this we you know we talked even in our sort of chit chat, we talk about death, mm. which seems really morbid, but in the same way, I mean, Steve Jobs, you've just mentioned, talked about death being one of the most, um, you know, empowering facets of our life. You know, you don't have long. No. We don't have long. And I, that's the first time I realized it when my dad went, you know, he was 59 when he was diagnosed. He was due to retire, you know, and he had it all planned out, you know, him and my mum what they were going to do. And I just think about that. You've worked all your life and, you know, he was, was in the Marines and then he went into Civvy street and, you know, worked at a university as a, an engineer and that's all he ever knew. And you just kind of map it out and then boom, 59, everything you planned for changed and it was gone in four years. So, you know, how do you process that? You've got to make sense of it. And I think the only thing you can take out of it, and it'd be interesting to hear how kind of it's impacted you as well, Jonathan, is that, you know, it's so precious. It's so delicate, this thing called life, right? That we've just got to grab it. And, you, you know, I see myself wasting it and I see other people wasting it. Mm. And that I think is the big crime, right? Yeah. Uh, it's really, and I find you somewhat of a, almost what I call a practical philosopher, someone who's, looking at what goes are big questions in life but actually dealing with them facing with them having your view about them and and as i've been reflecting on this lately uh and again we're reading the four thousand weeks uh, i've read it uh, uh, i listened to it a second time today it, it's it's the fact that we've got so much going on 
how do you choose among all the noise? What's the signal? When mm. I think about my days in the Royal Signals, that signal between all the clutter and the noise. And sometimes you and, and you with all the sound machines behind, you can reduce all the noise and just hear that pure signal. And I think if, if I look at my lessons learned from that, it was at a moment when I was having a crisis, when I was I got an average report as an instructor at the Royal Military Academy Center, supposed to be the Top Gun school. Anyway, I've been chosen to be one of the instructors at Top Gun, the equivalent. And yet they said I was average because I was up against the best of the best. And they were bloody good. Like my friend Rob, who's a, a general now, but working in business and others who've done a variety of things. I learned a lot from them. Even my late friend Lewis who was a fabulous parachute regiment officer and and he'd have laughter and joy with his troops as he took them on a run and then he'd go tree and they'd all have to find a tree and get five feet off the ground on a tree and it just it was hilarious stuff and i was far too serious and intense and trying to drive my platoon hard and if they weren't good enough mm. i'd fire them and i went back to a reunion of my platoon and and, and one of them said you made a profound impact on all my life. And I thought, but I was so useless. I was a poor instructor. But the lovely thing was that it made a difference to that one person and hopefully more of the platoon of 28 of them. And even my own platoon, 45 years on, we're still, uh, 42 actually, 42 years on, we're still having reunions, we're still in touch. Mm. And, and some of them are coming to my 60th birthday party. These, these people who I've known in different countries and Jamaica and Barbados and Nepal and, and Jordan. So I, I think my learning, and this is your podcast, but it's my learning, is that it's about taking the noise out and having a clear focus on what you are going to do. So mm. I think you have to let go of some of the stuff in order to focus on the pure signal of what your calling is, your vocation. So in my case, it's about finding inspiring leaders like you and others, learning from them and sharing that wisdom with other people. And you've got a great story to tell, Graham. And that's why- but do, you, do you think so it's interesting, Jonathan, your, your, the way you sort of unpacked your story is that you say that you obviously touched your platoon and they were touched by you and they will remember that now there's a strong bond, right? The brothers in arms. Mm. And even though when you reflected back on it, you in some way felt, you know, that you didn't, you weren't enough because you compared yourself to the other guys. And I think that in a way that sort of really is in a nutshell, the problem we all face, isn't it? That you talk about the signal and in that signal, there's a lot of noise and it, the noise is the comparison, isn't it? The fact that we compare, you know, they say comparison is the thief of joy, that we compare ourselves to other people and it takes away that presence, that being able to enjoy it because, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not as good as this guy. I'm not as good as I could be. And yet when you look at the reality of the signal of what you created, there was a lot of joy there. Yeah. There was a lot of you know, <clears throat> fellowship that you created, right? But that comparison took it away. Yeah, it's very interesting. We, we've got a good friend who's a, an excellent psychologist, and he taught us to use some of the psychometrics that we use with our clients. And, and, and yet, we always want to keep improving in the, the way we analyze people's uh, reports and, and help them get greater self-awareness. It's not the truth. It's just their, their interpretation of how they see themselves, but also their strengths and their, their overdone strengths, which become weaknesses. 
Anyway, uh, when he went through uh, my wife's psychometric and mine, we said, look, we'd love to see if you look at our two psychometrics of what drives and motivates us, what gives us fulfillment and satisfaction, how can we have an even better relationship? We've already got a, a really special relationship. We are like soulmates. So it is, I was meant to meet Lee. I know that was my calling. It's my, almost like my vocation. And together we are so much better. It's like the, the amulet. It's, it's, I don't mean that in a sickly sweet me. I just genuinely know I've met you know, my partner. Now I was married before and I you know, didn't get that marriage right. I own a, a, a lot of responsibility for that as does my ex-wife, but it, it, a lot of it was our own backgrounds and what went on, why it worked, why it didn't. But it, it is interesting this, um, when he looked at our reports and he said, okay, so Jonathan, you you over index on comparison and competitiveness okay mm -hmm. lee you over index on comparison so he goes oh that's okay so so like we'll go and train in the gym <laughs> and we'll go in the gym and lee's got a personal trainer and it's lee's personal trainer because she's learned that every time she shares a personal trainer with me i compare myself to her and i try and compete and do more weights than her or whatever it is so she goes, no, I'm not going to play at that one. I'm not having, he's my trainer. And then occasionally <laughs> after a year or two, she, she knows relents. how to put you in place. Yeah, she relents and lets me come and have a joint session with her. But then I start competing again. And she goes, no, there you are again. <laughs> oh, but yeah, sorry, sorry. And so it's so like hardwiring. Yeah, we can't sometimes stop ourselves, can we? Mm. But we can. It, it's a choice. We always have, I think mm. we're always at this term. We're always at choice. Mm. And of course, right. you, you made a choice there. You know, you and your wife, took your mm. son when he was six years old you stole up everything and you traveled the world to experience experiences many of us don't want but what's mm. interesting about digital nomads these days i was reading is sometimes they go on their own to travel the world and with a laptop they work from okinawa or cyprus or wherever but they're quite lonely and sad because yeah. they haven't got that collective but you luckily took your own little bubble around you and also imagine have you got some interesting friends that you've kept from the world travels? Oh, yeah, I, definitely. You meet amazing people. I th when you're on the road, the speed at which you make friends is very fast. You know, the chit chat is minimal and you like you get really deep, really fast. So if you meet somebody because you don't have all that baggage, because you've kind of there's an energy, isn't there? There's an energy. Somebody's left somewhere and they're quite vulnerable, literally not having that support around them so you meet people and you make great friendships bond with people quickly yeah it's a great place to to meet and create you know like long lifetime friendships yeah but i would say as the thing is jonathan that one thing i did learn was actually that living on these kind of islands with the sunsets and you know the instagram friendly pictures it, it, it gets boring after a while because what i actually craved if you're an entrepreneur and this this is like that competitiveness and the comparison it's that that switch that doesn't turn off it's noisy up there is when you're like that in those islands you're you're constantly thinking of the hustle and what can i build what can i do so actually i found after i know it sounds crazy living the dream that i actually got quite bored of it and yeah. what i wanted to do was this yeah well, i wanted to talk to people but the great thing is you've learned that. And, and so many people are, are climb the ladder of success and they get to the top of it and they find it's leaning against the wrong wall. And they go, mm -hmm. is this it? Is this all? And, and all too often people are not even present when there is the sunset because they're busy taking a photograph 
of the sunset to then explain it to someone else and look at it later. I had my American yeah. relations came over from Texas and they were taking pictures wherever we go. And I said, where have you been around the UK? And they go, don't know, we're going to look at the pictures afterwards. And we'll tell you where we've been. And I thought, I, you, you're not actually, you're there, but you're not there. And isn't this part of our challenge? Mm. That, that one of the things I found so powerful in meeting you, Graham, is like, I felt that sense that you talked about when you were traveling, that we really connected very quickly. There was no small talk. We went deep in conversation mm -hmm. very quickly. And I felt like I could trust you really quickly. And I think I've met about three, possibly four people in the last 210 episodes who have become like lifetime friends. And mm. it's through the podcasting. Maybe it's because we're quite raw and vulnerable and we're sharing our story and the mistakes we made. I don't know. But I've never kind of made those kind of really deep connections apart from with friends like mine I've known for 58 years from when we were small together. We grew up together. Mm. What, do you find this on podcasts that people find that in some cases, not all, they, they make very special connections? Yeah, absolutely. And they last. You're creating something together. You go, you know, I, I, some, one of the most common questions we get asked is, what do you do? And uh, one of the things I teach people when I work with people getting on other people's podcasts is not to answer it with what's on your business card, because that's not what you do. That's your job title. And so one of the things I help people think about is um, tell them what you're going to build. And what happens is if you tell people what you're going to build rather than what you do as on what's your business card, it has this polarizing effect, which is what you're talking about. That kind of going deep is that if you said to me, oh, you know, I've moved from Japan to Singapore to build a podcast studio, you're going to say one of two things. You're either going to say, hmm, well, that's interesting and then change the subject and therefore, okay, well, that's a no. Or you're going to go, wow, podcast studio, what's it about? What are you going to do? Who are you going to have as guests? And you know that already you've cut through all the noise and got to the signal there. And so I think that what that does is just kind of get to the main point, the crux of the conversation. And it's such a good way to engage people. And it's such a good way to deflect the noise as well. Those that will kind of take up your space. You know, the yes, but people who may not get it, they're fine. Just push them aside. You don't need, you know, I think the real game today about building your personal brand is not to be liked, but to be loved, not to be liked by millions, but to be loved by a hundred mm. people and just, and you know, love them back and just really build deep relationships with them and, you know, focus on that tribe of people the interconnect, interconnected ideas. And so you've got to put it out there. I think this is the vulnerability. You've got to expose yourself and say, what is it that I'm standing for? Mm. You know, not just edit yourself. I think we get scared, don't we? We edit yeah. ourselves down. That's so true. Those who, who stand for nothing fall for everything. And, and, <laughs> I, and I think that whole idea about people desperately seeking to be liked and lots of likes and lots of followers and things like that, I think it, it, it's so false, it's so superficial. And, you know, I'm going to a funeral of a family friend um, in a couple of weeks time. It's always interesting who comes to the funeral. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the telling one, but I don't want them to come to my funeral. I, I want them to come and see me now or interact with me now by, by, uh, by Zoom or whatever it is. Now, a lot of people are very mm. critical of the video and, oh, is this my video? It's so superficial, but actually, I wouldn't have had the chance to speak to you, get you on this podcast, 
unless we had met by video. Yeah, I'm not going to be in Singapore, but now I am in Singapore. I'm with yeah. you. And you're then sharing and, and it'll land well with the number of people. And they'll either go, God, I need Graham to work with my company and, and be the agency who does our podcasts, or I want him to get me on different podcasts. So I'll get in touch with him. You'll get one or two of those, mm. but you'll also get people go, no, not for me. And that's fine. And, and I think it's this, I'm learning late in life. I have to learn to have a, to stop doing list in order that I have my, I get to Absolutely. do list. You know, I get to do, I get to wake up and do, I was stuck in traffic on the way to have a walking meeting with a client, the CEO of the Woodland Trust um, and Darren. And Darren's been on the podcast before, lovely guy. We had a lovely walk with Archie, my dog. But while I was stuck in traffic, the old me would have gone, oh, I'm stuck in traffic. I might be late. This is terrible. The new me went, if David was still alive and hadn't died a few months ago, he would mm. have given anything to be stuck in traffic. So what am oh. I complaining about? Just enjoy being in traffic and just be here now. And we yeah. talk about it and we can go to Zen retreats and read books. But actually, people are learning you just like uh, I'm lucky with Lee that we've got four children, two children of my own uh, uh, who are about to turn this year, 29, 28. And then a stepson who's, who's about to turn 30 uh, and a stepdaughter who's about to turn 27. And, and they want to learn your behavior not your mm. fine words it's not your rhetoric it's your reality what's what's your thoughts absolutely well they say the three laws of parenting are example 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 oh right? wow yeah yeah and that's leadership though isn't it is that you know what how, how do you, you you can and we talked about politicians let's not go there <laughs> but you understand is that it's all about example isn't it and it's the example you set the story you tell about yourself really on a day-to-day -day basis yeah, I love the, the example you should talk about walking with a friend as well, being present. It's tough. We live in a world which is really designed to take away that presence, isn't it? It's, a, it's designed to really mine our attention because it's so valuable. Mm. Look at the attention spans that we do have. The average YouTube video is like 23 seconds mm. that we would spend watching a YouTube video. That's nothing, mm. you know, and we're getting close to that magical nine seconds, which they say the goldfish has right for attention span. But that's the reality. Everything is like pulling at us. Everything is not just trying to get our attention and notify us, but it's also trying to compare us. You know, that is the business. You look on Instagram. And when I started Instagram, I've got an account from way back when Instagram started, because I look at my first photo, I look completely different. This is like nearly 12 years ago. And you look at these photos and how it's evolved from the beginning of Instagram to now, it's like at the beginning, it was all kind of these, you know, like vintage filters and people look, you know, just doing their lives, taking photos of food. And now it's, you know, it's people looking perfect. You know, I think about my son it, growing up into this world where he, he looks on Instagram, you know, every man's got a six pack. Every woman is, you know, like, looks like she's had work on her face and the perfect bodies. And they're living these amazing lives, you know, like flying personal jets everywhere. And I'm thinking like, if I lived in that world now, growing up in that, when I wasn't so sure about myself, that would be really, really hard. You know, it'd be so hard to be present and say, actually, I've got this sort of, I'm centered. I have this space where that doesn't touch me. 
that is taking many, many years to build and learn. You know, if I was a teenager growing up into that world, I'd be looking and thinking, you know, what's wrong with me? Yeah. yeah. You know, why, why aren't I normal? Yeah. You and, and you are so right, Graham. And, and many a time in the coaching with different leaders around the world, one of the things I'll say is I, I feel a bit of an imposter. I, I suffer mm. from, from imposter syndrome. And time and again, men and women, this is the thing, because they feel they're not good enough, according to somebody else, or their thought of what others think about. If you're worried what other people think about you, you'd be surprised how little they do. They're not mm. thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves and how they look. You know, it's just like the personal trainer who's in the gym and he's doing this. He's looking at himself in the mirror while he's training you. You go like, just be with me now. Be here mm. now. And 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 I, I, I it, it's like an addiction we have. You know, we have an addiction to sugar and, and high processed carb food. Um, you know, we have addiction to all sorts of things. Uh, and of course, there are some very bright people who've done all the social media, who've got the psychologists who want you to be enraged mm -hmm. by a story they've deliberately sent to you because they know it'll wind you up and it'll get you to tweet about it or whatever it is. So, so we're actually having our minds played with and it's, it's almost getting off the addiction, going into the priory mm -hmm. and, and detoxing yourself from various things. So you do the few things in those number of weeks you've got left to live on the planet that matter to you. Mm. And, and, and I, I just, every day you have to keep, focusing and centering yourself and get back to that every let's, time it's like washing yeah. yeah exactly so let's let's do some quick fire questions i just want to go for it uh go, go around the the, the 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 room with proudest moment and darkest moment for you graham what what in all the things you've done in your life what was a, a proud moment and what did you learn from that and what was a personally a dark moment and what you learned from that a separate to what you've hmm. already sh shared proudest moment yeah interesting i would say Recently, in my recent travels, uh, I had a very strange encounter some years ago, which changed everything for me. And I don't believe in fate, but I believe if you're opening your mind to something, then your kind of antennas are tuned in to signals, aren't they? Um, it happened three and a bit years ago here in Singapore. I just moved to Singapore, just started building the podcast studio. My friend, who was a local, said, I want to take you to a local Singaporean experience, which is the Hawker centers, you know, where they all eat outside and you can sit outside with all the people on the tables. So we went there and because I was new to Singapore, he took me to kind of a Hawker center light, you know, one of the more touristy ones. So we're there on a Friday night, it's packed and all the tables are taken, but we managed to find these last seats in hundreds of tables. We found the last ones. We put our bags down, grabbed our food and then, this couple came across and said, uh, can we sit there? I said, sure. I moved the bag and they went off, came back with their food, started chatting. And he said, oh, you like chicken wings? He started sharing his food. We got chatting. Then he started saying to my friend, what do you do? And my friend said, oh, I make medical devices. He makes these, he used to work for Dyson. He pulls out this pair of glasses that you wear. It helps with um, bone conductive hearing loss. So he showed them this. The guy was talking away and he turns to me and says, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm building a podcast studio. I want to teach Asia how to tell better stories, you know, give them a voice. He was really into it. We were chatting away for quite a while about audio and stuff like that. And I turned to him and said, what do you do? And he said, I own an airline. And I looked around and thought, hang on a minute. Sitting next to me, it was Tony Fernandez. 
Now, Tony Fernandez is the CEO of AirAsia, and he also owns QPR, he used to have a Formula One team. But I didn't realize it was kind of a, bit of a double take. He was sitting there, he's a billionaire, and uh, he's a bit of a Richard Branson figure here in Asia. And uh, not knowing who he was, he laughed. We sat for about an hour and a half. I'm here in the moment, like you say, being present. I'm in the moment, having a really deep conversation with him about, you know, we grew up in the same place in England. He went to Epsom school, talking about football, talking about life, hour and a half, nothing about business. End of the hour and a half, I've got to go. I've got to get on my plane flying back to Malaysia. I thought, I'm never going to see this guy again. I've got five minutes. I've got to pitch him something. I said, um, Tony, I want you to be on my podcast. I hadn't even started a podcast. And he said, yeah, let's do it. And he gave me his phone number. And four months later, I was in Red Q, the headquarters, and sitting with him doing the podcast. And again, it was like being in the moment. I'm sitting here with this really famous business leader that everybody knows in Asia having a podcast. It's the first podcast he's ever done. He's there sitting with me and we're having a really man-to-man conversation. Mm. And uh, at the end of it, I said, uh, you know, amazing conversation. He said, yeah, that's great. Let's do more of them. I thought, well, great. And he became the first client. He, AirAsia became our first client for my podcast company. And at the time, I didn't even know how to monetize podcasts. But that became this signal that came from nowhere that said, look, this is how you do it. Because can you imagine if I was sitting there with him and at the Hawker Center table and try to pitch him something like he must have thousands of people pitching him stuff, ideas, good, you know, the next big thing. But the fact is, is, you know, and this is what I put to everybody, your listeners as well, is that how powerful that is as a tool to get meetings with people. You know, you're not there in that meeting to pitch them, you're there to connect with them. And then after that, if you get on and there's a good relationship and a good vibe, maybe there's business, but that's how you do it. So that for me recently was a really proud moment because that created the agency. Yeah. Yeah. Well, stay with that. Pure luck. I love that story. And it it really strongly resonates with me that I found uh, a book I listened to called Life is in the Transitions. I think I mentioned it. Uh, which is all about storytelling. And if you haven't listened to it, as well as listened to it, he meets some pretty interesting, weird people. Life is in the transitions. Um, but I'd always sort of done this, but I, I, I systematized it in my meeting with new coaching clients rather than pitch to them about what I was going to do for them, how I was going to make them an inspiring leader and support, challenge and inspire them. I said, I, I want to know about you before we even go anywhere. Tell me your life story. We've got an hour together, but let's say make half an hour of it. Tell me your life story. How have you become the CEO you are today? Who shaped you? What happened to you? What events? And I really listened to them. I didn't interrupt. I, I promised them I wouldn't interrupt. And, and when they stopped, I just asked them a further question. What more do you think or feel or want to say? And, and that bonded us in a way nothing else ever has. Because you have to come from a place of being truly interested in the story. And you were interested in Tony Fernandez's story and his chicken wings and his life and Epsom and football teams and whatever it might be. But I have found that on the occasions where I've had some of the best clients with the strongest relationships who've almost mm. then become friends of mine, they've become business clients who've become friends. That, that bit they say, don't 
don't get business and personal life mixed up. I think if you're being authentic, who I am in my personal life is who I am on a podcast with you or who I am when I'm coaching. And that's what they get. They get the whole experience, the full you. Real you. Uh, What's your thoughts? Absolutely. I can't find anything like, you know, I disagree with that. It's Mm. somebody said to me years ago, a good friend of mine said to me, um, don't create two versions of yourself. And it seems really simple, but when you think about it, that's so true because we expend a lot of energy creating these two versions of us, right? You know, that the version you present on the podcast or the video and who you really are, you know, and who you are when you show up to work and who you are at home. You know, I, as, as I've grown older, they, they've become the same. Mm. And I don't know, like, if that's wisdom, according to what you said, like the guys you shouldn't have friends with, the people you do business with. But I found, like you, those are the best business. Those mm. are the best business partners as well. well because they're built on trust. And, and I think trustworthiness and mutual trust is key. It's the foundation. And, and when trust's mm. gone, they should go. And, and I think you can say, yeah, you can rebuild it. And I think you can, if, if it's a long standing friendship and you just like uh, I shared with you a friend I hadn't been in touch with for a couple of months and he was annoyed with me and angry with me because he wanted mm. me to be in touch with him. Um, I, I didn't have the, the wisdom to say, well, you said my other friend got in touch with, uh, you know, I had a conversation with our other friend and you said, why hadn't you? Well, he rang me. <laughs> so you can always ring me. It's not, it's like a two-way relationship. You know, uh, you can't have a friendship unless you speak to each other or see each mm. other, but it doesn't always have to be one person to do it. But he had quite rightly, he'd reached out to me with a Christmas card and I should have got it back to him. So I do think this friendships and connections mm. need effort on both parts. And you can't be a friend unless you put some, I think what they call it, they call it life energy. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're giving discretionary life energy. And we only have a finite amount, a bit like this glass I'm drinking of beet juice. And, yeah. um, and uh, whatever, kombucha, kombucha and beet juice. I mean, you couldn't get better mix than that. It was a home brew. That's the good stuff. That's the good stuff. But that was one of your proud moments and, and how you started all. Great mm. story. What about one of the darkest moments in your life and, and what you learned from that? Darkest moments. Mm. I am not too distant in business. I had, uh, after starting the agency, not too long into it, obviously right about the time of COVID as well, we had a, quite a dark time getting the business off the ground. I put a lot of money into it. You know, I'd come effectively out of semi-retirement and risked everything, moved the family from from Japan to Singapore and where I could have stayed in the comfort zone and risked everything, especially, you know, when you're older. I mean, you know, I was in my mid-40s. And that point, you kind of have, when you look at other people, you think you should have had it worked all out by now. You should have have, you know, everything mapped out. But here I was kind of almost starting again. And then, you know, running out of money, um, you know, nearly running out of money in the bank account. But I had a really, we had a really good team. You know, we were really open with each other. And I was very honest, you know, kept them. Yeah. We're just talking about uh, what happened. There's like glitch there, Graham. So what happened? Tell us the story. Well, we've got a storm at the moment here in Singapore. It's stormy season and we've got all the aircon on full blast. 
and it just completely overloaded the circuits and yeah. the everything tripped out for about three minutes so i went into a bit of a panic mode because it was completely black <laughs> and then i looked outside and like the whole block around where we are was black yeah, yeah. so i guess we weren't the only one yeah so, but we're back well that's it's good to have you back and and uh, i i think it's, it's it's a lovely example of i think we said life is what happens when you're making other plans and yeah it's not the fact happens. that we have a problem it's how we view that problem. Like yeah. the old me would have had a question. Oh, where's Graham gone? Now we're in the middle of recording. Me too. But actually, but the, the new me goes. Just this is fine. I'll just pause. It's a traffic and, and, jam. And he'll he'll yeah he'll he'll get back when he gets back. And it makes it all the more interesting because it gives us more to talk about. I'm glad you're being very zen about it. Yeah, yeah. That's honestly, I, the old me would. But the, just I, I really found life gives you lessons to teach yeah. you something. And I always have to ask myself, what was the learning from that? It's just wait, be patient, and, and things will be yeah, resolved. Graham, Graham's got an issue. Something will go with power. or something. I thought it was something with power. Um, in, in my days in communications, I was in uh, the Royal Corps of Signals uh, for 10 years before I went into the infantry, the, the sort of frontline bit, which I wanted to be in the, mm. the, the, the teeth end, the competitive, comparative bit. Um, but <laughs> in, in, the, in the nicer Royal Signals bit, which was more gentlemanly and full of uh, technical wizards, uh, who knew far more about technology than me, we had a thing called other enditis, that, that if communications weren't working, it was always at their end. You need to sort <laughs> out to your end. Yeah, no, it's at your end. But uh, yeah. in this time, I always check my own stuff first these days. I go, was that me? Let me show you. Have I got any signal? How, what's my no, problem? that was like? definitely me. Yeah. That was but definitely. Look, let, you, were, you were talking about, we talked yeah. about darkest moment. You had this business agency. It was in the middle of COVID. You'd risked mm. everything. Hmm. Uh, and, and and what was your learning from all this? Well, I guess it was interesting. We just kind of lived it a little bit there. Is that, I mean, you mentioned it. You took the words out of my mouth. It's like, you know, how you sort of interpret what's happening to you. And I think, you know, this is where, this is really what leadership is. I mean, I we the core team I had in my business, there was only three of us. We worked with a lot of outsourced people, a lot of, you know, like contractors and so on. But there was myself who was twice the age of, you know, I, the two people I, I had in my team were in their 20s, they were graduates, young, very entrepreneurial. Um, but, you know, they, in some ways, were less, open, less understanding of what was happening, because, you know, they'd never been in a business before. And they'd seen, you know, like, this guy had come put all his money into a business, and now it's all disappearing. And it was hard for them to process. And, you know, like they'd built this business with me, and then it was sort of slipping away. And so the, really, that's what leadership is. Leadership is like, how do you frame something that people understand and, you know, put it into a context? And really, that was it, what it was about. And, you know, a lot of our focus now was about, okay, right, this is where we are. This is where we're trying to get to. And it's telling that story. And it, in the big part of storytelling and what leadership is about is taking away uncertainty. And a key part and how we got through things was it's like, okay, this is where we are. This is the work we've got to do. You know, this is the problem. Let's unpack that problem and deconstruct it and get to work on it. And then this is where we're going to get with it. And it's telling that in a story that they understand, not just in the nuts and bolts of what I said, but it's, you know, here's that in a narrative. This is where we come from. This is the problem. And this is the promised land, if you like, that we yeah. need to head to next and just keep telling those stories and helping them make sense of it, which was really important. And that is simply what leadership is, I feel, to be a good leader yeah. is to 
tell stories that help people understand where they need to go next. Yeah, uh, and I fully agree with you. I've been very blessed with some of the military leaders like uh, episode mm. 200 uh, General the Lord Dannett, who was my commanding officer, very good at storytelling, explaining the situation in a nutshell. He could be in a meeting, people would talk, 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 and he'd go, okay, so let me just try and capture the mood of the meeting. What we're saying is this, this is the problem, and here's my recommendation of how we do it. You go, wow, how did he make sense of that so clearly, so mm. succinctly? And I challenge leaders, you've got a minute to share your opinion. A minute? I want more than that. No, but if everybody has a turn, you've each got a minute. Good leaders can say what needs to be said, make sense, but they are storytellers, as you say, make sense of it in a minute. And also, one of the guys who's coming on in the future is my old, another old commanding officer, uh, General John Stokoe. And he was inspirational for me. We were in electronic warfare. We were listening to the Russians and the East Germans. We were prone to capture. So before war starts, a bit like Russia about to invade Ukraine, they would take out all the electronic warfare equipment because we knew what was going on. We were listening to what they were up to and the games they were playing, as is going on now. My colleagues are listening to what the Russians are doing as they plan. And this is why the Americans and the, and the Brits know that the Russians are preparing to invade because there's certain signals they get mm. and they know what's going on. Certain headquarters and stuff like that moved position and so on. And um, John had to, to move something like, I don't know, 20,000 British troops from Germany all the way around to Saudi Arabia. And he was given 10 weeks to do it. In. Like, whoa, who does wow. that? And what he did, he put it all on a page. And he went, this is where we are now, lozenge, just described it in about, I don't know, 30, 40 words. This is where we need to get to over here. Mm. And, you know, somewhere. And here are our lines of development, five lines of development to get us from here to there. This is our mission in a sentence. This is our vision. And uh, this is the timeline on the top. And, and it was, it's that ability to storytell with an infographic of something so big and so complex, make it understandable. Everything should be as simple as possible, but no simpler. It's Occam's razor, it's described. Mm -hmm. You know, th this side of simplicity rather than the other side of complexity. Um, I don't know whether that resonates. For Absolutely. You. Yeah. I, I was thinking, I mean, the military, obviously, there's some fantastic storytellers. I think it's shaped really by, you know, being in the pressure cooker that you don't get time to really mess around. You you know, the, the good ones, obviously, are the ones who have that kind of leadership ability. They can make sense of things very quickly. Mm. And I think about great leaders generally, and one of the probably the best storytellers of the last century was JFK. Mm. And if you think about it, there's a fantastic speech. You can see it on YouTube, 1963, when he speaks about the moonshot and he says his vision, which is like your CEO saying, um, you know, just to really condense it down, you know, he painted out the picture of going to the moon and bearing in mind, this is in a world of black and white TV, <laughs> no internet, nothing of that sort. You know, mobile phones were 30 years away. 1963, he stood up before the American people and said, we will put a man on the moon and bring him home safely before the end of the decade. And that was it. That was enough. That was the story told. And bear in mind that the NASA mainframe computer for the Apollo 11 had four megabytes 
of data in it. That was its memory storage for yeah. Four whole megabytes. Imagine that, like the average, you know, this phone in front of me here, like our phones, Jonathan, have got 200,000 times more computational power in them than the NASA mainframe. But that is the power. They had 400,000 engineers. You think of all those men they moved out of Germany to Saudi Arabia. It's like, how do you, how do you mobilize men and women on that scale? Mm. You need a story. You can't make it complex mm. and we've even seen this today with you know covid like flattening the curve it's probably one of the most powerful stories told in recent years because you talk about doing it as an infographic flattening the curve was a chart and like any story it had heroes and villains it had a past a present and a future and this is what i call data storytelling mm. about using data to tell stories you know you don't need to write a trilogy you can do it in a chart two lines, a lozenge, or even a few words. That's storytelling, right? And those are sometimes the most powerful ones. Those are the ones that spread not just to 10, 20, 30 people, but to millions, even billions of people, as we've seen with yeah. COVID, right? So good. So good. Let's carry on with the quick fire because I you've got so yeah, much so the many long stories. quick fire. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> um when you were 16, bit of advice you wish you had when you were 16, what would it be? Oh, wow. That's, that's powerful because I think of my son now, just on the cusp of being 16. Yeah. Uh, advice, I think, you know, um, really in line with what we said, I don't know. I think it's the best advice I've ever been given is that it's okay to say I don't know. And that's only come to me in later life. When I was 16, I had to know. <laughs> I had to know everything <laughs> and be a knower. And that sets you up. And, you know, I think that's why we kind of absorb all these titles and we build this armor around us, uh, you know, that, that goes with all the trappings of success. Mm, mm. But, you know, unpacking it, say, I don't know. And I think it's, you know, there's it, a huge, for mental health, if somebody asks you all these questions, say, I don't know, mm. but I'm working on it. Yeah, it's so, it's so good. And General Rupert Smith was the general in charge of the Gulf War forces. Uh, from the British perspective, uh, parachute regiment officer, one of our brightest strategic minds. And I had him on the podcast. He was fabulous. Listen to his podcast. But, but he reminded me that he went into one big conference and they saw the general appear and sit on the back with his boots up. He's very casual in a lovely sort of uh, unassuming way and put his boots up and he was listening to them. Like, general, what do you think? He goes, guys, I don't have an opinion on this. You're the experts. Tell me what you think. And they went, oh, oh, okay, you. fine, sir, I'll carry on. Um, okay, let's go around, quick fire around the compass. M MQ, moral quotient. What's your, what's your top value that stood you in good stead, that, a principle or a value you live by? Um, it's changed a lot, I feel. And in, in recent years, just being present. And, uh, you know, I haven't really articulated it properly. And this is what storytelling does. It helps you put the scenes together, if you like, and join the dots. But I'm sort of feeling that, you know, in life, there's kind of like three stages, which I'm going through. I don't know if everybody does, but it's me. It's to live, to give and to forgive. You know, live is to like, in the beginning is to kind of really explore live your life on your terms. And then to give is to, you know, you, you have a family, you're not the only one in the not the only show in town you have to give yourself to other people and you know mentor lead um you know serve 
And then to forgive, I think is the hard part. And that's the value that I'm really, that's the moral quotient part that I'm really struggling with. But I think it's the, the real mm. thing we all have to do is to forgive, not just um, people in our lives that have, we feel have trespassed against us, if you like. But I, I honestly believe that, um, you know, when you kind of understand people, like, you know, always the, the people you grew up with, your family, or any relationship you have and you know you forgive them even if you don't do it to them but in, in you morally rationalize it in your head it's a letting go i think it's like you know living loving and letting go i suppose it's those three stages that's the kind of morals that i'm trying to live by but i don't always get it right you know i'm still a human being flesh and blood don't yeah. let go of a lot of things I, I love that, um, to live, to give, forgive. And one of the things I would build on that, or live, love, and let go, is to let go of things that you've done that's wrong. Yes, learn from <laughs> them. Don't don't steamroll over the mistakes you've made, particularly when it's hurt other people, and you have to ask uh, for their forgiveness and uh, to apologize to people. Or let go of people that you haven't met since, but you're holding a grudge against them. Just mm. let go of it because you're carrying it around. It's baggage in your own head. It's filling up rooms in, in your block of flats, which is your brain. Just tell them to vacate the premises. Just clear them out mm. and, and get, get them over. Don't keep holding on to that stuff. So I think it's, it's very good. PQ is the next purpose and meaning quotient. Mm. Uh, what gives your life meaning and purpose at the, a purpose at the moment, Graham? I thought about this question and um, I've thought about it generally and I don't really know the answer to it. So to go back to the other one, I don't know. Mm. Um, I, I've sort of, I'm, I'm approaching my life in a very agile way, which is, you know, um, rather than finding my why, finding my start in things. And there's a great, uh, when I was living in London, I saw uh, a chap called Mohammed Yunus who won the Nobel Prize. Um, he founded a microfinance bank in Bangladesh and like really, you know, literally gave hundreds of millions of women loans, microfinance loans. And he really started that movement. Amazing guy, just a big visionary. He, you know, he, he microfinance is not sort of a, you know, it's not really something that's come out of business schools in London or New York. It's come out of, you know, these sort of emerging markets. He said something really interesting. He said, um, you know, when he started his journey, he was an economist in Dhaka University and he went out into the field literally and saw women weaving baskets. And he, he started talking to me, found out this woman was effectively bonded in slavery to the man who sold her the raw material. So he would sell the wicker, she would buy it from a loan from him. And he, he would then get the interest and all the materials from her. So she was in debt to him. And he said, Well, if I lend you the money at this kind of rate, which was like market, and you don't have any credit, but you pay me back, then would you better get out of this situation? And so he tried it and she did and he found like all these women were paying this money back. And then he realized actually he was lending a lot of money. So then he set up a bank, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he said that, you know, don't try and change the world. Just do good for one person. And then chances are there's more of those people. So what I'm trying to do, when you talk about purpose, I don't have this vision of changing the world. And I sometimes don't know what the purpose is, but 
what I'm trying to do is help people to tell better stories. And I feel that that enables them, unlocks their potential. And maybe they can change people around them. So I haven't yet found my why. If you're going to ask me what's the book title, I don't know. Yeah, no, but no. I'm helping other people write theirs. Yeah, and, and and I like that in itself. And and you know what? We don't have to make a profound difference in life. We just have to have a calling, something we're doing. In your case, helping people to tell their stories. But you're also role modeling by the way you're telling your stories on on this series, and I, mm. I love it. Health quotient is the next one. A tip on mental health and a tip on physical health that's worked for you, Graham. Mental health. This is interesting, isn't it? Because it's one that we've only really started thinking about, we collectively, mm. but we realize how important it is. Deep conversations, Jonathan. Yep. That for me is therapy. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what better? Campfire. Remember those campfire conversations we used yeah. to have in the old days? What yeah. happened to them? We don't have them anymore, do we? There's something very, you know, not rewarding, but I would say it. it's great to talk through things and to hear people and just connect with people. Mm. That's great for mental health, especially in this world where so much is now remote. Yeah. Even if you did this, right? I mean, how cool is that, that you can kind of talk through things and, you know, in your own mind, work things out a little bit. That for me has been really good. Yeah. I would say start a podcast is cheaper than therapy. <laughs> you know, it's a lot more rewarding. <laughs> So, it is. Yeah, I, actually, yeah. I, I must agree with you. I, I found it very therapeutic, the, the, the friendships, the lessons, the learning I've had from it. And what about the second part of health question, physical health? What physical health, you, yeah. What's, what's your tip on physical health? What have you done? I've, well, I'm big into, I know we're both sort of active people, sometimes to the extreme. <laughs> and it's really now, let's compete on who is the most crazy on this. Um, <laughs> Ironman is my thing, oh my which God. is uh, swim, bike, run and uh it just there's something i i don't know if you would call that health because i wouldn't necessarily say those elite athletes are very healthy no. certainly often not the case definitely a physical thing and maybe more for mental but you know there's something very appealing about suffering not in a sadistic masochistic way but it in some somebody once said to me suffering is the nearest thing to heaven and, you know, reflecting on that when you're on a bike ride, when you're in the, the pain zone, it kind of makes sense because everything falls away. You know, you know, when you're suffering, when you, I know you run up mountains, <laughs> you do those kind of crazy things, but when you're sort of in pain and you're suffering, it all, that, that's, you're really in the moment, mm. you know, you're not enjoying it, no. but you're there and you're living. And you're, I think that's what it is. You're reminded what it is to be alive, just like it was thousands of years ago when you had the spear in your hand, you know, hunting down the mammoth. Yeah, yeah. That was it. You know, no. that's when we were, were living. Yeah, there's undoubtedly a season for everything in, in our lives. And, and as you know, we discussed before, my crazy double mountain marathon that I held the world that's record right. for. Um, it was fine at that stage when I was doing it in my 20s. Um, but now I'm in my 60s. Um, my hit training that I do in the get in the gym and the yoga I do I did this morning and walks with the dog twice a day. That's all very good and low inflammation because mm, I found I found with, it, the, yeah. with the serious distance running, it's massively inflaming, which is why you find many of the elite athletes are really their bodies are completely shot Cropped. through. Yeah. 
because it's so yeah. much inflammation. So, uh, but it, it is a great thing to do. And uh, when I think about doing the, the Cypress Double Mountain Marathon, uh, the year I won it, we, we did, did it two years, the year before I came four, was um, when I was close to the summit, uh, I, the, the two team colleagues wanted to walk and it was a slight incline, quite a steep incline towards the summit of the Mount Trudos in Cyprus. And uh, I said, I said, uh, yeah, okay, we'll walk. And then I thought, if my father was here now mm. uh, and he was alive, what would he say? And he'd say, whether you walk or run makes a difference between winning or coming second, third or fourth again. You need to run. And I went, guys, we're going to run. Oh, no, no, we don't want to run. I said, we're fucking running. And I grabbed hold of their shirt <laughs> and we started running together. And, and they went, okay, 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 we're going to run, we're going to run. Just get luck, just get off our shirts, just get off our shirts. And they ran and we came first. And it dug deep. It was that moment when I thought dad was sitting up there on the cloud and yeah. he was going, come on, son, you got to run. He no got one you over the line. No one remembers who came second. They only remember the world. <laughs> uh, yeah. EQ, um, emotional and social intelligence, you are having buckets, my friend. Uh, Graham, what would you say is a tip on emotional and social intelligence you've learned over the years? Yeah, you know, like uh, emotional intelligence is, again, it's something that in business, isn't it, now that we're talking a lot about, um, you know, really listening is a good skill and leaning into the problem, mm. I feel, is a, a powerful way of communicating with people. If we think about emotional and social intelligence really as ways of communicating with others, then I think it was, it's a Zig Ziglar or mm -hmm. maybe a Roosevelt, you know, term. I'm not sure who came up with it, but somebody once said that, you know, people don't care what you know, unless they know that you care. Mm. And I think how important that is in communication is that when you lean into the problem and you listen to people and you empathize that how powerful that is in creating connection with people. And I find that so, you know, it really does pay off in communication when you like when you say you, with your coaching clients is you ask them to start with the story and talk about themselves because in that they will reveal a lot about themselves emotionally that they wouldn't do if you asked to see the business card and tell me about your job. So I feel that, you know, really it's a skill that we can learn to be present and to listen to people better. Mm, mm. It's easy to fill in the blanks, isn't it? With our own yeah. stuff. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay to just let other people talk. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a great skill, the ability. Uh, in IBM, we used to joke about people don't listen, they just reload. And, yeah. um, and that's so not the way to be. I mean, to, to, to listen, to ignite the other person's thinking rather than to respond is a mm. very different experience. You know when someone's listening to ignite your thinking and you think better. There's no mm. doubt about it. CQ, cultural intelligence question. So diversity, mm. equality, inclusion. You've traveled the whole world. What's your top tip on, on uh, cultural intelligence and, and coping with difference? Travel the whole world. That's my mm. top tip. Mm. I think people should at least once in their life, you know, live somewhere different. Not go, I mean, going on holiday is one thing, but living there is very different because you are vulnerable and exposed and when you're vulnerable and exposed so some ma some magical things really do happen when you're in this situation culturally you see the goodness in mankind that 
if you're not watching Fox News all the time, <laughs> you know, there is a world out there where, where I really do feel like, firstly, you know, beyond the content of who we are and all this kind of story and, and the totemic aspects of our lives, you know, like the imageries that we build and, you know, the programs we watch on TV or, you know, what we eat, beyond all of that, at the deep rooted human level, we are very similar, you know, every person out there will care for their children and want the best for them and, you know, be kind to strangers. And I think culturally, you see that when you put yourself, you have to put yourself out there first, though, it doesn't come to you. You have to go out there and see that. And so I feel there's something really powerful in, you know, leaving yourself and going to these places and you open your mind and your your fully fully your heart and your soul to these experiences mm. and you, you let them in yeah and you're the second person in the, in the last couple of days who said that their way of coping with diversity equality and inclusion and understanding difference was to travel not not just on mm. holiday but to go and live somewhere and be with people <clears throat> i love that thank you RQ now, resilience against adversity. What would be your top tip on resilience? Travel the world. <laughs> I think it's a, definitely a good one because you realize what can you learn from living somewhere else? You would learn it ain't necessarily so. Things change. Um, the, the second part of that, obviously, is selling all your stuff, which is a bit extreme. But as this sort of process of decluttering what you learn is what you have, you know, that your own hands and your brain is maybe enough. And so the resilience part, I feel we talk a lot about resilience in business today, obviously with what's happened in the last couple of years, it's right front and center in these conversations. But what is really it all about? It's really about fear of loss and change, isn't it? How do we deal with that? How do we deal with change? And how do we deal with the fact that these skills that I used to have or this technology I used to have isn't as relevant today. And yeah. the important part of this is going back to the core, your core personally, you know, who am I, what am I about, you know, what makes me happy? What am I good at? You know, you can only understand that when you strip away the layers, but also with business, and this is important for leaders as well, I feel, resilience is really about going back to the core. You know, if you build a business around customers and listening to customers and just doubling down on your existing clients and customers and not worrying about fear of missing out, not worrying about how things are going to change. If you just keep focusing on them and talking to them and not losing sight of that and listening, leaning into their problems, keep asking the question, what is their problem? And how can we solve it? then it doesn't matter what happens in the market. It doesn't matter the big macro changes. You will be resilient. So I think there's sort of resilience on the personal level and professional level. And it really just comes from stripping away mm. and being all in. Yeah, uh, I, I completely can uh, support that. Uh, and I love the that comment you made about the fear of missing out, which often drives people to, to do things mm. that they don't want to do, they don't need to do unnecessary clutter, I say stuff, material stuff. But someone said the other day, yeah. I, I love this expression, the joy of missing out. That yeah, actually, that, I've heard, that's you, nice. You choose to miss out. You know, oh, this is a great deal. You can't miss out on it. No, 
I'm actually choosing to miss out. I, I'm really happy. You crack on, leave me out of it. I'll, I'll pass. And I think saying no to certain things in order to say Absolutely. yes to what matters, which is your wife, your son, in your case, my four children, my wife and, and, and my brother. I think those are important things. Brad, you, you, you totally nailed it earlier. You, you mentioned it, that whole point about saying no. Yeah. I feel it's like one of the biggest life lessons because we say yes to everything, fear of missing out. But when you start saying no to things, the magic happens. Yeah. You get a clearer idea of who you are, what you're about, what value you offer, your purpose, if you like. I likened it to like flying a balloon, you know, those hot air balloons. And they sort of have to pull the burner and they fill up the hot air balloon to fly. But you know, what keeps it on the ground is the sandbags, these heavy sandbags, right? But you, if you keep pulling the burner and thinking, I'm just trying to get up and trying to trying to fly this thing, but you keep like, harder and harder and harder and you know, filling up that balloon, it won't fly. It's only when you take the sandbags and throw them out, this thing just lifts up naturally. Mm. And I think we're like that, that in our lives, we weigh ourselves down with things. And then we try and brute force, you know, it's the comparison and compete part of our psyche, brute force our way up to success, you know, pound our way up there, because that's all we know. And what we realize is that we just, it would be so much easier. If we just kind of throw that baggage out and we just float. Yeah. A I, lot nicer. Very zen like, I, I love it. And, and that analogy of the hot air balloon and the sandbags. And, and it is about going with the flow and the, the effortless aspect of, of saying thank you, but no. Think, what do you mean? What do you mean? I, I've given you this great deal. I said, that's, that's nice. Somebody else will benefit from it, but it's not me. And I, I will pass. This one's not for me. Um, I love that brand, uh, BQ, mm. brand, reputation, image, and impact. What, what is it that um, uh, you've done to learn about how people perceive you so you can enhance what you do, mm. your offering, how you come across, how emotionally intelligent you are? What, what have you done? Uh, obviously personal brand, I feel is an extremely important asset. We all need to have a, a characteristic, if you like. Um, some time ago, a friend sent me a WhatsApp message, a very simple message. It had a video on it. It was Aussie. So it was going to be humorous and it had this 90 second video. It was just after the pandemic started. And it was done as a public service announcement. And it goes, please, 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 whatever you do during a pandemic, don't start a podcast. <laughs> and I laughed because he sent it to me. But what I really loved about it was that when he thought of podcasts, he thought of me. Yeah. And to me, that is vindication of what it means to be a thought leader. It's a small thing. It's not a big deal. I'm not like on this pedestal. I'm just like, I'm in his mind when he's thinking about x and really that's what personal branding is it's being that guy doing that thing because you know i see this guy and he keeps popping up on my feed on linkedin or wherever doing that thing and i keep seeing him and I keep seeing him and I keep seeing him and then when somebody asks me oh do you know somebody who does that thing yeah you want to speak to this guy <laughs> that's how it works that's the power because if you occupy a small piece of real estate in the consciousness of your audience, even though that may be very small, that's a very valuable commodity. You own attention. And that is what it takes to 
influence and engage people. So I would say to people that, you know, when it comes to personal brand building, it's really knowing what that thing is that you do and owning it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And I tell you, don't give up because I would say to everybody here that for every one person who likes or reaches out to you, I guarantee there are hundreds hundreds that you don't know about who know you and what you do because yeah. they keep seeing you doing that thing uh, you are so right and, and i've experienced that just within the last day the fact that i've been doing this podcast various people have reached out to me from hong kong uh, to a guy who'd been out in the in the, in the far east uh with marks and spencers he's come back and he said we, we met some time ago and i went how long ago and he went well, it was, uh, I think it was, you know, like eight years ago. And, wow. and, 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 you know, my friend recommended you as a leadership coach, and I'm now ready. I feel like eight years How ago. About that? And then someone else who I've known for six years in another firm, and, and I knew one day we'd work together, and he said, I'm now ready. Can I, can I be, you know, can I be coached by you? And I went, That's the power of a personal on. brand, because they're aligned. Yeah. They're educated yeah. on what you do. They're not coming and saying, uh, can you do this? Can you do that? No, it's like they know exactly what you're about and they're ready. Mm. That's what a personal brand can do for you. It, it, it's, it's so special. And uh, I've got the dog here. Come just join me. Archie, my <laughs> It's uh, missing out. He said, I had a great run this morning, Master. That was fantastic. Can we do it all over again? <laughs> I forgot. That was great. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Uh, <laughs> legacy, the, the final bit of the uh, the eight components of what make inspiring leaders and successful mm. leaders in business. What would you like your legacy to be in the work you do and in your personal life? To reiterate Jonathan earlier, let's see who turns up to my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what they say in the eulogy. Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, again, it's touching people's lives. I hope that I could give people um, the skills. I hope that I could kind of unlock people's frustrations that they can tell their story on their terms. Even if it was just looking at my story, you know, and somebody who's looking out the window of the bank thinking, oh, you know, maybe I can do that. Yeah. You know, maybe I don't have to have a book first before i tell my story you know i can get out there and start telling it that i feel would be you know job done in terms of leaving 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 a legacy i think it was jerry seinfeld that said um you know when it comes to funerals more people would rather be in the casket than reading the eulogy yes yes it's so true it's so <laughs> if i can change that i'd be happy that's a great one okay well look We've, we've gone wonderfully over time and I've never done this ever before, Graham. And it's a great compliment to you because I've so enjoyed well, this conversation. Well, likewise. I didn't want to stop. So I've run over time deliberately and I'm not going to cut it down. They're going to get this whole unexpurgated version awesome. of, our, of our authentic conversation. Um, last question before we do your two minute top tip as a leader. Mm. What's a, a book that you've enjoyed listening to or reading on leadership? Uh, that you'd recommend and, and why would you recommend it? Just one. Just one. Just one. Just one. Um, I don't know if you've read it. Maybe something that's come across your radar. I, I've enjoyed um, Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Mm, yeah. Um, Navy SEAL. Yeah. My dad was a Marine. I know you obviously spent your life in the service mm. and uh, your dad as well. It's just really interesting. We've got this image of what 
military guys are like, you know, this very sort of stern, austere, tough, top-down chain of command. But it's very interesting. I think the SEALs as well are quite opposite of that. It's all very decentralized, isn't it? It's all about making decisions on the ground in very small units. Um, But I like like the idea of extreme ownership, which is he he, uh, recalls a story. They're in Iraq. And you, he'll, you'll have to read it yourself. I won't do it justice, but basically the, there was a failed mission. You know, it, you know, it was a snafu. And, you know, the, the whole thing just fell apart. And then the CEO called him in. And everybody kind of in the mission had done things wrong. You know, the signals guy had kind of like messed things up with the other guy. And then, you know, the frogman had done this. And then the machine gun guy had done this and da-da-da, whatever. Everybody messed it up and it was just panic and they weren't used to, you know, fighting on the streets at that time as well. They weren't trained in like, you know, effectively, you know, hand-to-hand combat. So he just stood up and said, when he, when the CEO asked him to kind of name all the things that went wrong, he just said, it was all my fault. And he took all the blame for it. And he, he thought they're going to, you know, they're going to you know, kick my ass. And the CEO just took him aside and said, uh, you know, you did the right thing there. It's because you knew you taught everybody a lesson yeah. and that is about owning the problem. And I thought it was quite powerful. Yeah. We don't obviously exist in military situations, but I feel that even like with my business going through those problems, it's not like looking for somebody else as the source of the problem or because of this or because of the pandemic or whatever. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's hard. Because it's it, our natural it, instinct, isn't it, to yeah, blame? But it, it's so powerful that just just take ownership, and and when you do, then others start owning up for it. And so, at the end of one of the operations I did in counterterrorism, in the dark of the night, afterwards we'd have the after action review, and I'd say, guys, this is what went well that I did, but this is what could have I could have done better, and I mm. apologise for that. I got I got lost in the navigation, and it's lost us ten minutes. And then the private soldier was speaking, then the sergeant. I, I think it's so important. Let's go on, Graham, much to my sadness, to, to the last thing we're going to do, which is mm. your two-minute top tip. Would you just kindly introduce yourself, say what you do, and give us your two-minute leadership tip, and then we'll finish recording and have a chat. My name is Graham Brown. I'm a storyteller. I help people tell better stories. And so in this two minutes, I'd like to share with you some ideas, or one idea, about how you can tell a better story because as Jonathan rightly pointed out, we're all affected by this thing called the imposter syndrome that we feel our story's not worth telling. I'm not Elon Musk or Richard Branson. I'm not, I didn't win any Nobel prizes. So I want your audience to think about this one scene in their life, which will help them tell a better story. And it's called the departure scene. In every good movie, in every good book, there is a scene And it's called the departure scene. And it's a scene where our hero departs. Our hero leaves the world of comfort and then takes the rocky road, which is the unknown. And often in that departure scene, it's defined by the crossing of the threshold. And the threshold in the movies or myth is a river, a bridge, could be leaving a planet in Star Wars, for example. But it signals a transition. And I'll put it to you, the listeners, that so you out there is that you may have not flown to another planet, but you probably left a bank and went 
and started your own business or you left a country and lived somewhere else or you you know funded an idea against the wishes of or the the good intentions and well wishes of family and friends and co-workers who said it was crazy that's a departure and so when somebody asks you you know what do you do when somebody wants to know more about you that one scene you don't have to tell a whole story you don't have to tell you know the full you know three books of the lord of the rings you just define that one departure scene for people and in that scene we know everything about you we know where you came from where you're going to and what you had to leave behind and that alone as information is an extremely powerful way to connect with people so start where you left off brilliant graham brown storyteller podcast agency owner and helper of many thank you very much indeed for being on the inspiring leadership series i found that fascinating and i look forward to our friendship over the coming years thank you Graham. awesome thank you so much and thank you for being inspiring yourself as well jonathan thank you very much So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.